Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. God bless you. Thank you. (laughs) Well, good morning. And good morning, Pastor Chad, our new pastor. It is so good to have you. Um, Well, we come bring our tour of Easter to an end. Remember, we didn't want to just fly right through Easter. You know, it comes and it goes, and so we wanted to stretch it out on a tour. And, and we come to the final, final, the end of the tour, which really is answering the question, well, why Easter? I mean, why, what, why Easter for Jesus? And why Easter for us? When I was 25, I was called to my first pastorate. It was First Baptist in Northern California, David Kraft had been the pastor there just for six months. And then uh, in his pastorate, he contracted cancer in the lower back, lived another six months, and he passed away. He was only 31 years old. He left two little ones, little Karen, little Scotty. And after about a year of getting to know them, I kind of adopted them as my own. So I remember I took Karen out for a date. And I'll never forget, we're driving down Highway 1 there in Northern California. And she looks at me as I'm driving. She says, uh, my daddy's in heaven. Do you want to hear my song about heaven? <laughs> what are you going to say? Sure. I'll never forget what she's saying. Heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. I'm going to see my Savior's face. Heaven is a wonderful place. I'm going to go there. And she stopped. And I just, I mean, it's like the, the, the smog, the fog just got heavy. And yet, you know, the question comes up, well, that's the song of a child. But what about us? Do you believe in heaven? Heaven is mentioned 550 times in the Bible. 550 times. As a matter of fact, every 10 seconds of every hour of every day, someone on this planet leaves. They are catapulted into eternity, and I want to know where do they go? Or do they go anywhere at all? It was the most ancient book, Job. He was the one that asked the question, if a man dies, will he live again? He says, all the days of my struggle, I will wait until my change comes. The psalmist in Psalm 116 says, how precious in the sight of God is the death of his righteous ones. What a horrible verse. What a horrible thing to say. I mean, because we think death is such a horrible thing. Why would God call it precious? Unless, unless he knows something we don't. And yet the prophet Ezekiel writes, God finds no pleasure in the death of the wicked. See, within us, there's a sense of something after death. We, we, we just can't swallow the idea of the cessation of existence. And yet, is there existence after death? And is there a heaven? To say there isn't. Say, I don't believe in a heaven. That's fine. That's your right. But you do understand, it is a statement of faith. Because there's no evidence at all you can take a look at to prove there's no heaven. And so what you're left with is believing that you, you just hope you're not wrong. 
One adapted Pascal's wager with this. He says, if I believe in heaven and there's not, when I die, I'll never know I was wrong. But if there is, I will know I was right. But if I do not believe in heaven and die to find I'm wrong, heaven and hell wait me, and this terrifying truth will be known. Interesting wager. You want to wage your destiny. There, there's no escape from dying. Sooner or later, unless Jesus comes first, we're all going to die. And one at a time. You don't do this in a group. This is something between you and God and what you believe and where you place your faith. See, we can spend our time attempting to avoid the subject. But inevitably, we do think about it. It is so hard to not think that one day I'm going to die. Now for me, moving on to 74, I think of it more often. Now the naturalist tells us there is nothing beyond the grave. Nothing to fear, nothing to enjoy. No soul survives. In, in, in death, our existence is annihilated. Does that make you feel warm and fuzzy? Philosophers speak of, well, we slip as a dewdrop into a vast impersonal sea of existence. Losing all personal identity and memory. Being absorbed into the infinite whole. The absolute. Now if anybody understands what they're talking about, would you explain it to me? Now the New Ager believes we will enter into hundreds and thousands of transmigrations. From lower life to higher life. Until finally we're released from the realm of birth and death. Birth and death. Birth and death. Although Hebrews 9.27 says... The point another man wants to die. And after that comes what? Judgment. Seems to be an end to this thing. Now we have some cults that just deny the existence of death. They dismiss any thoughts of justice or retribution. And yet they have a hard time explaining why every human being has this deep, deep, wired, hardwired desire for justice. And yet we're never going to see it. Because we sure don't see it in this life. Even secular psychologists have joined the discussion on death. The work of the late Elizabeth Kubler-Ross is still referred to by many. She would interview patients thought to be dead, and as they were resuscitated back to life, she would interview them. Uh, even in more recent studies, having clinically dead people up to three hours have conducted the same kinds of interviews. And they all seem to be the same. People speak of floating out of their bodies, observing doctors attempting to save them on the operating table, upon hearing the pronouncement that they're gone, moving toward a bright light only to be drawn back into their bodies upon resuscitation. I read one doctor attended a man who had been pronounced clinically dead. He succeeded in resuscitating him for which the man thanked him by suing him for bringing him back into this miserable world. <laughs> to quote Kubler-Ross, she said, it's not a matter of belief or opinion. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is life after death. Now, her conclusions are not accepted by most of her peers, but whatever conclusion you draw, you're still left with Job's question. If one dies, will they live 
again. Well, Jesus has something to say about this and why there was an Easter, not just for him, but for you as well. If you will open your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 14. John 14. Back in chapter 11, you had the account of Jesus raising his friend Lazarus from the dead. But just before he raised Lazarus from the dead, he said the most remarkable thing. Remember, Martha's really ticked. I mean, you healed everybody else. You hear my brother's sick. You don't even come down. You don't come down until you hear he's dead. It takes you four days. He's been in the grave. And that's when Jesus said the most remarkable thing. Martha, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if they yeah, he said it, even if they die. We're here in chapter 14. This is the night before our Lord's arrest, scourging, crucifixion, and his death. And he's with the disciples in the upper room. And Jesus speaks to them about this issue, about life after death, because he's talking about his own death. He just informed his disciples that he was going to be crucified. They're not really happy. They thought he was going to destroy the Roman Empire, set up a little Jewish uh, uh, kingdom, and they would be the big dogs with Jesus in this kingdom. Matter of fact, back in chapter 13, when Jesus began to talk about the fact he was going to be crucified and die, Peter, good old big mouth Peter, Peter comes up and says, it's not going to happen. And if it, where are you going? And it's chapter 14 that Jesus answers the question, where are you going Jesus, if you die, where are you going? And that's in chapter 14 when Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place. A place. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself so that you may also be with me. These men have been with him for three years. Hope of the kingdom. And now their hope is talking about dying. And their dreams are just crumbling and they're shaking in their sandals. He tells them to hold on your heart. Don't let it be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. He says, you believe in God, don't you? Has God ever forsaken you? Well, no. Why do you think I would forsake you? He says, we tend to fear what we don't understand. This whole thing of death, we don't understand it. And so he says, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. We, the King James has what? Many mansions. In my Father's house are many mansions. <laughs> and we really like that. The only trouble is that we began to uh, uh, compare square footage of each of our mansions with each other. My mansion's bigger than your mansion. And Peter begins to sound like a real estate broker at the Golden Gate. And that wasn't the point Jesus was making here. This, he says, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. See, it's not a neighborhood. It's the Father's house. Remember all the way back to David? When David gave us the, uh, uh, the shepherd's psalm? 
Remember how it all ends? And I shall dwell in the house, in his house forever. His house has many dwelling places. He's talking about heaven. And he's talking about a place in which people dwell. In heaven, is it a real place? Do, do you believe in heaven or are you even embarrassed even talking about it? You think I'm going a little fantasy here? One author wrote this. The rapid changes in Western civilization have subjectivized and secularized heaven. In the 19th century, the concept grew increasingly vague. The 20th century has been ever more devastating to the idea of heaven. The word heaven has been appropriated for many purposes and used in connection with dreams and loves and lyrics and fiction until now it has been deprived of meaning for much of society. Why well, is this heaven? Why well, let's go to heaven. This is great heaven, heaven. So that we've just sucked out any sense of reality. Are we talking about a real place or not? Is heaven a place? Well, 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, God hears us from heaven. When we pray, God hears our prayers, it's from, it says, from heaven. As a matter of fact, in Daniel, in the Old Testament, Daniel makes this statement, which is, uh, I think, interesting. This is when Daniel has prayed. And in Daniel chapter 10, he's asked the Lord, what's going to be the future of his people? And, and then finally, Gabriel shows up. And I love in verse 10, Gabriel gives, he's really apologizing why he's taking 21 days. And Gabriel says, then behold, a hand touched me, Daniel says, and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he, Gabriel, said to me, oh, Daniel, man of high esteem, understand the words that I'm about to tell you and stand upright. For I have now been sent to you when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come as a response to your words. Where do you think Gabriel came from? This place called heaven, where God hears our prayers. Uh, we talk about Psalms. For example, that's all over Psalms, but let me just read to you Psalm 33, verses 13 and 14. Here's a psalm that simply says, The Lord looks from heaven, and he sees all the sons of men. From his dwelling place he looks out, and all the inhabitants of the earth are seen by him from heaven. It looks like the Bible takes this thing seriously. Jesus, in John chapter 6, verse 38, he says, I have descended and I came from, what did he say? Take a wild guess. I know you guys don't talk back. But, the, you know, I want you to be successful here. Uh, when in doubt, the answer is Jesus or heaven, okay? So, when Jesus said he, he descended from where? from heaven. Now, either you say that Jesus is your Lord, he's a son of God, and he's not a lunatic, but are you saying that he was a lunatic when he said this? Because he said he came from heaven. And then we are told that when he returns, 
He returns after his resurrection to where? To heaven. Now what is this? Where is this heaven? You got an interesting description of this thing in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. Here the writer of Hebrews makes this statement. He says, verse 22, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and myriads of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. <laughs> we get to be here. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. He's even telling you who's there in this place called heaven. Yeah, 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 but, but, but God is a spirit. And, 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 and since God is spirit, he's everywhere. If God's everywhere, I mean, he's right here. He's in this table. We can swim through God. Be careful. Don't become a pantheist. When the Bible says that God has, that everything, that he, he, he's omnipresent, it speaks of the fact that he has location. As a matter of fact, in Daniel chapter 7, the Ancient of Days sits on a throne, has location. In Revelation chapter 4, God the Father sits on a throne. He has location. Well, then how can he be everywhere all at once? Well, first of all, in 1 Kings, when he talks about, here's what the Hebrew says, and in God's creation, everything is in his presence. That's the Hebrew. And so it's not that God is out there dripping and leaking all over the place. The fact God has location, but everything he's created is in his presence. The most remarkable thing is he has a dwelling place. Now, when Jesus ascended to heaven, it was with his glorified body. Now, we looked at that last week. Remember, Paul says, we're going to have a body conformed to the glorified, resurrected body of Jesus Christ. That's why we're going to be able to see things we could never see before. Remember, this body goes back to dust. Like I said, some of us are getting more dusty than others. But the fact, all of us, this body will go back to dust. But this body, this, this piece of meat, that's not you. That's not your consciousness. That's not your memory. Remember Revelation chapter 6 verse 10 says, And John saw the souls of those who had been executed for the sake of Christ. And they're communicating to Christ, just like Paul said. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. And they have memory. Because that's their consciousness, that's their personality in their soul, not their body. And when this body is rewrapped in a glorified body, just like the body of Christ, it's amazing. Apparently it can move from one dimension to another. Matter of fact, remember in Luke 24, all the boys are up there scared to death because just a few days before that, their leader had been arrested and crucified. Now they know Rome's going to go after them. They're locked up in this room. And it doesn't say all of a sudden they heard a, a no. And it doesn't say he walked through a wall. All of a sudden says Jesus just appeared in his glorified body. It's like he moved from one dimension to another dimension. Now, now why, why is this really important? When Jesus ascended to heaven, he sat down next to the Father. He did not sit on his state of mind. You hear what I'm saying? Now, some want to say that Jesus ascended to heaven, like you have in Acts 1, in AD 30, 
And if he, he went the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, he would be to this day short of our farthest star. So you Christians are idiots. Wait, 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 wait. Why would we say the creator of the universe is confined to the speed of light? Even quantum physics, quantum mechanics speaks about parallel solar systems, and they're the ones talking about. You have the different vibration of, vibration of, 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 of these strings, uh, which is the element of apparently uh, within even molecules, says you could have multiple dimensions. Interesting, Paul calls these the heavenlies. I mean, how many times you saw in the Old Testament, all of a sudden the appearance of angels, an angelic being. It's like they moved from one dimension to another. It's not that heaven is so far beyond the stars. And Jesus took a tour of the galaxies and went, hey, there's Pluto. I remember when that was a planet. No. <laughs> if you look at Acts chapter 1, it says he was caught up into a cloud, gone. doesn't say he passed the moon. He was caught up. Read it yourself. He was caught up into a cloud, and it's like he moved into another dimension, this dimension the Bible calls heaven. Jesus and Paul, they both called this place paradise. Paradise. As a matter of fact, John, the apostle from Patmos, he actually saw it. Read about it in Revelation 21. He says, I saw a new heaven, new earth, and I saw the new Jerusalem. Remember Jesus said, I am preparing a place for you? What do you think the place is Jesus has been preparing? The new Jerusalem. For it says it's been prepared as one's going to give a gift to his bride. And the new Jerusalem comes down out of one dimension onto the new heaven, new earth. I haven't been smoking anything. Read it yourself. <laughs> Revelation 21, it's all right there. The Father's house is a city with equal length, width, and height, measuring close to 1,500 miles. That is, it would stretch halfway across the entire American continent. The city is four square, laid out as a square, possibly as a, a cube. Now, some say maybe a pyramid. I think it's a cube. Because 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 20, talks about, in the Old Testament, the Holy of Holies in the temple. And the Holy of Holies... Basically, it gives its width, height, it's a cube. And I think what you're talking about is the Father's house is going to be the holy of holies of the new heavens, new earth, and we get to be in there. We don't go in just once a year, but basically we're going to be there receiving our assignments like the angels did in the book of Job. They would go before God and they would receive their assignments and they would go. We would receive our assignments and then we go to who knows which dimension that God has called us to. And, and this would make it possible to picture a river flowing down through the city as described in Revelation 21. Now, as for room, is it going to be big enough for all of us? Then one guy, a Swiss mathematician, figured it out from the scriptures. The size of the New Jerusalem would give a cubical space, one-third of a mile on each side to each of the 20 billion people living there. Let's put it this way. There's going to be room for you. There's going to be lots of room for you. And then you look at, again, just another portion of the description in Revelation 21. I, I, I got to at least read you. Verse 18. 
Here he says, and the material of this wall, there's a wall, was jasper. And the city was pure gold like clear glass. Huh. John says the wall was built of jasper. Or it would be called today blue diamond. Now think how will that reflect the glory of God who gives light from within the city. Now John sees the city within the walls as pure gold like unto clear glass. Now the Greek word here is clear crystal. Now, why do you make a big deal? I, I find this stuff fascinating. It appears to be a substance that's more precious than gold. I didn't know this. Gold's known to us. Can be beaten until it's only a few molecules thick. And then it's put on a window as gold leaf. You've seen it. But it's never transparent. But this stuff is transparent like crystal. This is some substance that's not from this earth, but a substance from heaven itself. And notice the light source in verse 23. He says, and the Father and the Son and their location, their throne, brings light. Therefore, there's no sun, no moon, no planets to reflect because the light source comes from within the city. Now, can you picture what that would be like? Boring light is just this. They say if you divide it all up, it's all the colors. What if we get to see all the colors as they express in light? And in that city, there's no sorrow. There's no pain, no cursing, no night, no death, no corruption. Now the big question. And what are we going to be doing? Well, apparently we're going to learn how to play harp. No, 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 no. I'm sorry, that's not in the Bible. Now we're not going to be playing harps. As a matter of fact, I'll show you exactly what we're going to be doing. And you kind of wonder, some people say we're going to be singing and worshiping God forever. Well, that's true. And those of you with beautiful voices, you really dig on that. Those of us sound like a dead crow, that doesn't seem too exciting to be doing all my life for eternity. But that's what he says here in Revelation, for example, Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. Jesus says, he who overcomes, that is the believer who believes in Jesus Christ, he who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and I sit down on my father's throne. Chapter 5 of Revelation, verse 10. And thou hast made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign upon the earth. First huh. Corinthians chapter 6. Paul says, stop suing each other. You're embarrassing the faith in the church. Don't you know you shall reign over nations? And you'll be assisted for you will also be reigning over angels. That's what he says. We're going to actually be assisted by angels as we carry out the different assignments God has given to us as we reign with Christ. Uh, again, you're looking at me funny. Okay, I'll show you. No, I hear. 1 Corinthians 3. Paul says in verse 11. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid. That's Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. 
This isn't purgatory. You're not going to get burned. It's not testing you, but testing your work. Now, if you bring fire to wood, hay, straw, what happens? It's gone. You bring fire to gold, silver, precious stones, remains. Well, what's the difference here? I kind of would like to know. He says, you build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. In other words, anything I do, anything I do to honor myself so that I get some benefit, I get some kind of praise, some kind of glory, here's the point. God doesn't double dip. I have my reward. I got my pat on the back. I got the raise. I got the smile. I got the, hey, that was a good message. Great, I already got my reward. Wood, hay, straw. <laughs> Gone. That's why don't be running up to me and saying nothing too good. Now, you don't have to rip me apart either, all right? But what do you think the others? What Then what is it that's gold, silver, precious stones? Anything that I do or I say or any place I go to honor whom? Jesus Christ. That's the foundation we're building on. Now, watch what happens. So he says, each man's work will become evident. Verse 14, if any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. A reward? Later on, 2 Corinthians 5 talks about the bema toss, the bema seat of Christ. This is where, back in the ancient days, they'd have the Olympic, they'd have the running, and then whoever would win, you would go before the bema toss. And you would receive your reward, which is a little weed around your head, you know. But also you got a free rental apartment for the rest of your life. But that was the Bema toss. That was where you received your reward. And Paul says we're going to all stand before the Bema seat of Christ and receive our rewards. Now, I, I was raised in Southern Baptist Church. Had the hell scare out of me every week, like I've said. But I do remember they used to say, and our rewards are going to be hats, they had to give us crayons and pieces of paper of crowns, and then we're to kind of fill in all the jewels of our crown because our reward's going to be a crown. We're going to get hats. Well, you know, I was a bit precocious as a kid. Surprise, surprise. Because when they said somewhere in Revelation chapter 4, and they cast their crowns before Jesus. You know, for a seven-year-old kid, what that sounds like? You're a picking Indian giver. I get the hat, and I've got to give it back to Jesus. But that word hat, crown, is the word Stephanos. And the word Stephanos means basically a, a picture of ruling. In other words, it's exactly what Paul said in his last will and testament. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, he says, And we shall reign with Christ. Same thing you have in Revelation 19. We shall reign reign with Christ. That is, we're going to be receiving at the bematos our assignments, our capacity, our vocations. And here's remarkable. In Luke chapter 19, this is for your businessmen and women. In Luke 19, Jesus shares a story. He says, now, now the, 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 the uh, master, he gave these minas, uh, that's a three-month wage. And he gave one guy 10, one guy five, and one guy won. Get out there. And he says, do business. And the first guy goes out there and he makes a profit. Comes back. And then Jesus says, faithful and little, faithful and much. You're over 10 cities. Next guy took his five, doubled it. Jesus says, faithful and little, 
faithful in much. You're over five cities. The one guy got the one says, well, I was a little frightened about it, so I buried it. And I love it. Jesus says, you buried it. You could have put it in the bank and got interest. You say, is that in the Bible? Absolutely. In red. Jesus says that. Because when he's talking about that phrase, faithful and little, faithful and much, that's the very basis of a resume. If I had a company, I was going to hire all of you. Give me your vetus. Give me your resume. I want to see how faithful you have been because faithful to what you have been will show me how I can trust you and how much I can trust you to be faithful. You want to know what today is in your life? It's the same as yesterday and tomorrow and on on as long as you have breath. We are building our resumes. That's why you get up in the morning. And people get older like me and say, well, I've done it all. I've taught Sunday school. Excuse me. If I'm coming to the end of it, I want to really fill my resume up as much as I can. Because based on the bematos and my evaluation, there's nothing to go ahead. We're all going to heaven. But we're all not all going to have the same assignments. He's going to trust some of us more than he can trust others of us. And it's all going to be based on our faithfulness where? In this life we've got right now. There's the rewards. It's almost like one might say, heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. And I'm going to see my Savior's face. Because heaven's a wonderful place and I'm going to go there. Well, how do you get there? Well, Jesus answered that too. Right after he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Because in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare this place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again, receive you to myself, so you will be with me. Verse 4, and you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And then what did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father's house but through me. I'm not making this up. If you got a beef about this, it's not with me. It's with him. Because God made a provision for our forgiveness. We have turned our back. God creates us. <laughs> we, we bear his image. And we turn our back and we walk, talk about the cosmic betrayal and we pretend he has nothing to say and some of us pretend he's not even there and we live out our own lives like we are our own gods. That's what the Bible calls sin. And if you want to separate yourself from God, fine. Out to outer darkness. But God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. He created a bridge, a way back into the family of God so you can be part of the Father's, the Father's house. And that's what the cross was all about. The Father pouring his holy judgment, wrath, on his own son in our place that all I've got to do is tell the truth. Repent, 
God, I need that forgiveness. Forgive me for how I've treated you. And I want to turn around and I want to live my life for you. But how do we know? How do you know that the death of Christ on that cross was actually God's provision for your forgiveness? I'll tell you how you know. What happened three days later? Easter. Easter happened. And Romans 1, 4 says, this is by the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus is declared the Son of God. We know it's all real. Because in history, God raised him from the dead. Do you have any evidence for that? Yeah, go get the recording. I spent three weeks on it. So the point is this. Is there a heaven? Oh, my. But you want to know of all the things in the Bible that I believe in. Even with all this, heaven is still the hardest to believe it's real. I have a feeling that the moment most of us die, we're going to open our eyes and go, oh, it's real. And the reason is because we have nothing. We have nothing in this life to relate to it. I can picture things. I can begin to understand if there's something I can look at, touch, feel, and go, oh, it's going to be like that. Oh, it's going to be like this. But heaven's not going to be like anything. So how can I easily say, I can picture it. Oh, it's easy to believe in heaven. The very fact that heaven's going to be the new heaven, new earth, and we have nothing no bridge to relate to it. If you find believing there's going to be a heaven is hard, well, then that means you have a brain. And therefore, we not walk not by sight, but by what? Jesus said so. It's the promise of Jesus Christ. Boy, I pray he's the way, the truth, and the life. I have prayed you've placed your trust that Jesus was God's provision for your forgiveness. You've asked for that forgiveness. And now you want to live out that forgiveness. And when will I see you next? I don't know. I'm going to be 74 in September. I figure I got about five years left on this planet. And I'm out of here. And I'll meet you there. Heavenly Father, thank you for this tour of Easter. Thank you for just giving us an opportunity to once more time take a look at the truth of what you have for the future of us because of the past of Easter. Lord, we go from one Easter to another and we look forward to all that you have for us, the riches of heaven. Thank you for this hope. Grateful in the name of Jesus Christ. And God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.